That's your doing. That's your stink. Mr. President, that's your swamp. Wow. And that's your Fox News. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience. On the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and many other fine affiliates, both terrestrial and internet. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. All around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, well, Desi Doyen, you uh, you often refer uh, on this show to the uh, news volcano that we uh, <laughs> now seem to face each well, day. Yes, because that's what it's like. <laughs> and well, now that uh, news volcano features an actual volcano. Which I hope to uh, get to along with a whole bunch of other stuff today before uh, we take off for a long overdue week off to stand down a bit and tend to some family obligations. Don't worry, however, guest hosts will be covering for us in our absence, so you'll still be able to turn to your broadcast if all goes well. Uh, and uh, as Desi and I will be standing down for the next several days, uh, there are primary elections coming up in West Virginia, North Carolina, Indiana and Ohio on Tuesday. So I wanted to make sure to hit this disturbing item uh, today. Uh, officials in Knox County, Tennessee, are trying to gather more information about a cyber attack that crashed a government website that displayed election results to the public during its primary election for local offices on Tuesday. This according to Sam Levine, Levine at uh, HuffPost. Dick Moran, the county's top IT official, believes Knox County was the target of a denial-of-service or DDoS attack in which actors with both domestic and foreign IP addresses deliberately flooded the county servers with traffic to try and crash them for some reason. The county website displaying election results went down for about an hour as polls closed on Tuesday. The crash 
meant that people who went to check election results between 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. on election night received an error message, according to the Knoxville News Sentinel. Knox County Mayor Tim Burchett, Republican, said on Wednesday that the crash did not impact, quote, vote tallies or the integrity of the election but that the county had hired a security firm to investigate the cause of the crash. The primary uh, races on the ballot in Knox County on Tuesday included county mayor, uh, sheriff, and the county commission. The uh, contest had attracted some national attention reportedly after Glenn Jacobs, the former WWE wrestler known as Kane, had won the Republican nomination for mayor. The attack comes amid increased scrutiny, as you know, over the security of U.S. elections following things like the Department of Homeland Security telling 21 different states last year that Russian hackers targeted their election systems during the 2016 presidential election. There are, of course, some, I should say, many questions about that report from DHS. Uh, Nonetheless, there's no question that these systems are vulnerable And critics uh, have said that the federal government has not moved quickly enough to address the severity now posed by the threat. And I think that's an understatement from (laughs) HuffPost here. Um, They haven't acted quickly. They should have acted 10, 15 years ago, frankly, when we started acting on this issue. And uh, they're only now beginning to catch up and they're not going to be able to make any substantive changes before uh, November that will really make a difference. Nonetheless, back to Tennessee here. Uh, well, Scott McDonald, a DHS spokesman, said that the agency was aware of the incident in Knox County. He said, we're aware of reports of a temporary outage affecting an election website in Knox County, Tennessee. We have no information at this time that the outage was caused by a malicious actor, McConnell said in his statement. As is standard practice with any of our public or private critical infrastructure partners, we have offered our technical assistance and support to the county. We defer to the county to uh, discuss any further details. Candace Hoke who is great, by the way. We've had her on this uh, on the show in the past. Uh, she worked on the Ohio uh, landmark Ohio Everest test of electronic voting systems some years ago under their now former Democratic Secretary of State Jennifer Bruner. That test, by the way, found years ago that all of the state's voting systems and computer tabulators were wildly vulnerable to Manipulation, both from outsiders, outside hackers and insiders, election officials. Hoke is now the co-founder of the Center for Cybersecurity and Privacy Protection at Ohio's Cleveland Marshall College of Law. She says it's premature for Mayor uh, Burchett to say that no votes had been changed in Knox County. She says without a forensic evaluation, there is no way for them to accurately conclude that the crash did not affect the vote tallies or the integrity of the election. She wrote in an email, she said, we do not know if only the web servers were impacted by the attack. In other words, the web servers that show the results, whether only those were impacted by the attack or if a broader impact occurred. It's often the case, she says, that a DDoS attack is used as a distraction, while another more insidious attack, such as on the tabulation servers, is occurring, according to Hoke. 
She added that it was a positive sign that the county was bringing in a firm to analyze the incident, but wanted to know how thorough the analysis would be and whether the final report would be publicly available. Well, that's a good question, because often they aren't. Uh, She also said that it was uncommon to see a denial-of-service attack on an election night, but expected that they would increase this year because counties now store much more voter information online. Oh, goody. That's disturbing. (laughs) Yes. Michael Greider, the Knox County Director of Communications, and David Ball, the county's uh, Deputy Director of IT, disputed Hoke's assessment that any votes could have been altered because the system's that tabulate the official votes are never connected to the Internet or any computers that are. And this drives me absolutely crazy because it's simply not true. And it's incredibly disturbing that elections officials and even IT officials at the county level, this is the county's deputy director of IT saying this, uh, not to mention uh, even folks up in the you know, Federal Department of Homeland Security, the folks who are supposed to understand these systems, they continue to repeat this yarn over and over again, this nonsense that these systems aren't connected to the Internet, so there's nothing to worry about. Uh, Ball, in this case, the, uh, the, the deputy director of IT, said the county hadn't even looked at the actual voting data from election night because there was no way someone could access the data. Quote, so why bother? <laughs> quote, he said, there's no way that anyone could have gotten into it, he said. Yeah, why bother? Why bother even checking? That said, it is simply untrue that no one could have gotten into it. It is just wrong. And he should certainly know better as the county's deputy IT director. All of these voting machines, uh, and by the way, in uh, in Knox County, Tennessee, they still use 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. So nobody can ever know if any of the votes were recorded accurately as per voter intent, even when there is not a known problem that occurred. But all of the voting machines... Um, and the computer tabulators, all of those systems, whether it's in Knox County or anywhere else across the country, they are they are, in fact, connected to the Internet. No matter how many times they try to claim that computers not directly connected to the Internet cannot be hacked. Here's just one way that it works, because people need to understand this because you're going to hear this more and more. Our systems, you don't have to worry about it. They're not connected to the Internet. So you have to understand, they are all connected to the Internet. They are all vulnerable to the Internet, even if they are not directly connected. Here's how it works, Uh, and it's just one way that it works, but we we know that this happened, by the way, during the 20... This particular uh, way to get into the systems, we know that this happened uh, during the 2016 election thanks to the DHS whistleblower reality winner who, by the way, faces charges for letting the world know that this happened back in 2016 during the election. So malware can be sent uh, via a phishing email that is sent to election officials who who click on a link that they shouldn't, and then their computers become infected with malware. Then those now-infected computers, and they may not even know that they're infected at that point, those same computers are then used to program, do things like program the ballots and the memory cards that are going to go into those voting machines and or those computer tabulators. And when that happens, 
that malware is spread, the deed is done. Even though the systems were never directly connected, the voting systems and the tabulators were never directly connected to the Internet, they have been affected. And the fact that computer scientists have been warning about this for so many years, that we have been warning about this, and we're not even computer scientists, but we talk to a lot of them. They've been warning about this for years, and yet we still hear election officials, top uh, cybersecurity officials who work in government saying this, this nonsense over and over again. We don't have to worry because these machines are never connected to the Internet. They are just plain wrong. Hoke said that she knew of several examples where system owners believed that their networks... Uh, that their networks were entirely disconnected from the Internet when they actually had, yes, some connectivity and suggested that the Knox County officials could have been more cautious in their statement. She said it's wonderful to be able to espouse confidence as they are, but they should not be espousing such unless they have actually had their network for the election management server totally assessed by someone who's qualified in network architecture. Uh, Grider, the county's communication director, said the issue that we had was one related to our web server. It was very simply an issue with how the election results were presented to the public, not how they were received in any official capacity. And that could be true as well. But here's the other thing that Grider may not understand, but that those who have closely followed our work here on Bradcast and at Bradblog.com may recall. Back in 2004, on the night of the presidential election there, when all the eyes were on Ohio, that was the last state to come in, it would decide... Um, eventually, it would decide the race very narrowly, for George W. Bush's second term over John Kerry. That night in Ohio in 2004, in the middle of the night, the web servers reporting the results to the public, those also went down after the election on election night. And uh, by the way, Candace Hoke, um, I mentioned she, she's from Ohio. She worked on the, the study after all of that happened in Ohio. So those servers, those web servers went down in the middle of the night back in 2004 on the presidential election night. And when they did, those web servers moved to a backup system down in, by the way, Tennessee, as it turns out, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, the servers uh, moved to this very right-wing, very, very right-wing, hard right-wing company down in Chattanooga, Tennessee, that had been contracted by the state's then-Republican Secretary of State, J. Kenneth Blackwell. And uh, in this instance, when the systems went down on election night in 2004, John Kerry, the Democrat, uh, the Democratic candidate for president, he was shown as winning before the system outage. When the system came back up from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and it took us a long time to realize that the servers had actually been moved, when the systems came back up, John Kerry was suddenly losing when they came back up on that alternate server. Were the results gamed at that point on the server only? In other words, maybe no ballots were actually changed, no votes were actually changed, but they changed it on the server that the public was looking at and that the media used to declare George W. Bush has won, had won a second term. 
did that happen? Was only the server changed, the web server? Well, we can't know because the public was never allowed to hand count all of the hand-marked paper ballots that were used across most of the state of Ohio that year. To this day, we do not know if George W. Bush legitimately won a second term for president of the United States after he obviously illegitimately was named the president by the U.S. Supreme Court for his first term after whatever happened in the state of Florida. In Ohio in 2004, had just six votes been recorded for John Kerry instead of George W. Bush in each of Ohio's precincts? That would have made John Kerry the president instead of W. And yet we were never allowed to find out how all of the voters there voted amidst the cloud uh, that, that occurred when a very similar sounding problem or attack such as the one that happened in Knox County, Tennessee on Tuesday also befell the good folks of Ohio and the United States along with it back in 2004. So... <laughs> It's disturbing that election officials don't seem to understand this. Uh, And particularly, uh, as we look at what happened in Knox County, Tennessee on Tuesday, was that a test run for the crucial 2018 midterm elections? We don't know. Uh, Maybe it was. Maybe, you know, maybe we might find out once a proper forensic investigation is actually done in in, uh, Knox County, if a proper forensic investigation is done and if those results are made public. Either way, it's it's wildly disturbing that election officials remain so wildly clueless about the real threats that the entire country still faces right now. As we prepare to use these very same, very vulnerable computer systems in primaries for the next several months and in the 2018 midterm elections themselves in November that will hopefully begin to put the brakes on our ongoing national emergency. But who knows? Take a quick break here. Much more on that emergency and why it has been so difficult to put the brakes on it already. Coming up next on the broadcast, I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Meet me in St. Louis, Louis. Meet me at the fair. Don't tell me the lights are shining any place but there. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Missouri Governor Eric Greitens will be in St. Louis in, uh, let's see, a week or so, uh, facing standing trial. In St. Louis. Uh, So let's start here. This is how it's supposed to work. In an historic move, according to AP, Missouri lawmakers announced on Thursday that they are calling themselves into a special session later this month to consider impeaching 
embattled Republican Governor Eric Greitens following allegations of sexual misconduct and misuse of charity resources for his political campaign. The announcement from the Republican-held House and Senate comes as Greitens, a former Navy SEAL, once considered a rising star in his party, as he faces widespread calls to step down amid criminal charges, this uh, coming after his election back in his election to governor back in 2016. Republican House and Senate leaders said they had gathered more than the constitutionally required signatures of three fourths of the members of each chamber in the uh, Missouri legislature to summon themselves into a special session that will start at 630 p.m. on May 18. Just 30 minutes after the end of work in their regular session and just four days after uh, Greitens uh, trial is supposed to first trial in St. Louis is supposed to begin. Uh, it will mark the first time in Missouri history that lawmakers have called their own special session. Extraordinary sessions are usually called by governors, but in this case, the reason they are calling it is because of the governor. Uh, this was uh, not a decision made lightly and certainly not without great deliberation and effort, said Missouri's Republican House Speaker Todd Richardson. He pledged a, quote, fair process that will not be rushed to conclusion. Greitens faces uh, trial on May 14 on a felony invasion of privacy charge for allegedly taking an unauthorized nude photo of a blindfolded woman with whom he was having an extramarital affair. The special sessions, uh, the special session petition was signed by 138 of the current 161 House members and 29 of the current 33 senators, according to Richardson. So huge majorities signed this, both Republican and Democrat. The uh, Republicans hold uh, majorities in both houses, and yet they took the lead to do this, to call a special session for themselves to consider impeaching a Republican governor. This is how it is supposed to work. The petition calls upon lawmakers to consider the upcoming recommendations of the House Investigatory Committee on Potential Disciplinary Actions Against the First-Term Republican Governor, which also could include lesser reprimands, lesser than impeachment. That House Investigatory Committee last month released a report with testimony from the woman who uh, was said to have been threatened with blackmail by Greitens with those photos that, with whom he was having an affair. Uh, the report from the House, and it was a Republican-led, it was a bipartisan committee, but it was a Republican-led uh, investigatory committee. And they found in their report last month, the first of two reports uh, on the governor, um, that uh, according to the testimony from this woman, she had been restrained, slapped, shoved, threatened, and belittled during a series of sexual encounters back in 2015 that at times left her crying and afraid. And frankly, that description of that House report uh, uh, from AP, that cleans up the report quite a bit for a family publication. Yeah, it's pretty harrowing when you look at the details. It's very harrowing. Last month, Greitens was also charged with two other 
felony count. So that's three. That's three charges. Two other felony counts of computer tampering stemming from allegations that he used a veterans charity donor list to raise funds for his 2016 campaign. He, yes, took advantage of people who had signed on to a veterans charity list uh, to raise funds for his 26 campaign for governor without the permission of the group which he had founded. The legislative announcement about a special session came uh, one day after the same bipartisan House investigatory committee released a second report, this one indicating that Greitens had, in fact, misused that donor list from that veterans charity and included testimony from a former Greitens aide, a campaign aide, indicating that the campaign had also falsely identified the source of the donor list in a previous settlement that the governor had struck with the Missouri Ethics Commission. Uh, all kinds of dirty here. All kinds of dirt. If the House votes to impeach Greitens, which would be a first for a Missouri governor, according to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, the state Senate would then appoint a, seven, a panel of seven judges to conduct a trial on whether to remove him from office. This is how it's supposed to work. Desi Doyen, usually I'm bad-mouthing your old home state of uh, Texas. Oh, I know. <laughs> now it's me bad-mouthing my old home state of Missouri, although not really. I'm actually... I'm giving them credit here because they're doing the right thing, including the Republicans in uh, at the state capitol. I wish I could say the same thing about Texas. Greitens, a married father with two children, admitted in January to having an affair before he ran for governor uh, on a family values platform, by the way. Uh, but he has denied any criminal activity and has declined to testify before that House committee. The defiant governor has shown no signs that he's preparing to leave office despite all of these claims, despite all of these indictments, despite all of this reporting from Republicans in the uh, in the state capitol. And like Donald Trump, Eric Greitens uh, claims that he is the target of a, quote, witch hunt. He has asserted that his criminal trial this month will exonerate him. OK, good. While it's kind of amazing, given all of the evidence against him, both from this bipartisan Republican-led House committee and from prosecutors who have now brought these three charges against him with a trial on one of them starting in just days, it's kind of incredible that he has not resigned at this point. Per <laughs> this is today's Republican Party. I'm yeah, sorry. I, I know. They don't do that. I know. Uh, and particularly, by the way, all of Missouri's top Democratic and Republican legislative leaders have already called for Greitens to resign. But you know what? It's his right. If he wants to stay in there, if he wants to challenge this, I guess Missouri, some states have laws that if you're charged with a felony, you have to step down. I guess Missouri is not one of them. So he wants to fight the charges in court. Uh, and then presumably in, in impeachment hearings and a trial in the state capitol, that's what he wants to do. Great. That's his right. Fight the charges in court and in a potential trial if the uh, if the state house uh, votes to impeach him. That's his right. Do it. He says, I will have my day in court. I will clear my name. This prosecutor can come after me with everything she's got. Talking about the St. Louis County prosecutor. Uh, but as all faithful people know, in time comes the truth, and the time for truth is coming, Greitens said in a statement. Talking about faithful people playing to the faith-based crowd that he used to get in there, even as he was allegedly 
tying up a woman in his own basement, taking off her clothes, taking photographs of her, and threatening that he would blackmail her if she ever told anyone. But in any event, that's fine. Let him defend himself. That's how the system is supposed to work. Bipartisan legislative officials doing their job together, doing their work to hold legitimate investigation, uh, investigative processes here, and impeachment if warranted, and prosecutors indicting the sitting governor as appropriate, bringing him to trial with the right to present evidence uh, that he can bring evidence to uh, and testimony to defend himself. That's the way it's supposed to work. Maybe he didn't do anything and he'll be off the hook. But contrast that with the nearly entirely broken institutions that we seem to have in Washington, D.C. when it comes to Donald Trump and what appears to be uh, very serious, if, if not more serious, crimes uh, than those that uh, Greitens is alleged of uh, from all that we know. There we have a Republican House of Representatives, a Republican-majority House of Representatives in D.C. that has purposely neutered itself on legitimate investigations, much less impeachment hearings, and has even been trying to undermine legitimate prosecutorial investigations by a special counsel with a House and a Senate that won't even pass legislation to protect the integrity of that prosecutorial investigation. That's how broken it is in D.C. And, uh, and the Department of Justice, by the way, for some reason that reportedly, reportedly, we'll see if this changes, but reportedly seems to feel that it is somehow unlawful or unconstitutional to indict a sitting president on criminal charges, even if, they have evidence that that president, uh, you know, committed serious crimes. For some reason, everyone see, that I talk to seems to say, oh, they'll never indict a sitting president. I'm either I'm not so sure or, you know, maybe I'm just uh, too hopeful about that. But, um, you know, that system, frankly, is broken and it's fighting for its life right now. Contrast that to Missouri. Bipartisan uh, investigations in in the in the legislative body, potential impeachment proceedings, reports finding the the governor, the executive's guilt versus the nonsense we have going on, the cover ups we have going on in in Congress and the inability, theoretically, for the prosecutor to indict a sitting president. And with a corporate media only now, after over a year, only now seeming to begin to understand the depth of the uh, insidious duplicity and dishonesty of the very people that they are supposed to be covering for the American people. White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders is now facing a barrage of questions about whether she purposely misled the American people amid fallout over Rudy Giuliani's Stunning revelation about hush money paid by President Donald Trump's lawyer to porn star Stormy Daniels, who alleges a tryst with Trump. Uh, Sanders said over and over, she was forced to say over and over again Thursday in response to questions at the White House press briefing. She was forced to say again, I gave you the best information I had in response to questions about why the White House had failed to disclose that Trump had, in fact, as he has now admitted, reimbursed his longtime lawyer Michael Cohen for the $130,000 payment in order to keep porn star Stormy Daniels quiet 
in the days before the election. Here is uh, just some of the heat that Sarah Huckabee Sanders was finally beginning to face at the White House. You said on March 7th uh, there was no knowledge of any payments from the president, and he's denied all of these allegations. Were you lying to us at the time, or were you in the dark? Uh, the president has denied and continues to deny the underlying claim. And again, I've given the best information I had at the time. When the president so often says things that turn out not to be true, when the president and the White House show what appears to be a blatant disregard for the truth, how are the American people to trust or believe what is said here or what is said by the president? Uh, we give the very best information that we have at the time. Uh, I do that every single day and will continue to do that uh, every day I'm in this position. And yet she was lied to uh, seemingly, you know, the best possible uh, circumstances here is that she was lied to. She was told Donald Trump never paid this money. So then she went out to the uh, to the reporters. And that was, uh, by the way, CNN's Jim Acosta and uh, ABC's Jonathan Carl. No lefty, by the way, Jonathan Carl. Certainly not. Uh, they were, uh, you know, the questions from folks like them and others are pretty brutal, um, even if they are long overdue for Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And to be clear, they're brutal because they're honest and they're straightforward and they ask her for a simple yes or no. Were you lying or were you just not informed? They're not brutal because they're being mean to her. They're brutal because they're being brutally honest. But, because And they should have been long ago Indeed. They, you know, w with them. Sanders was uh, forced to defend her credibility. Uh, this just one week after comedian Michelle Wolf created a ridiculous uproar at the annual White House Correspondents' Dinner with jokes about the press secretary, including one quip that she burns facts and that she tells one lie after another. And yet you had so many of these same people in the media furious. They were outraged. That they would call her to her face a liar. Uh, many who saw the routine, says AP, uh, f felt Wolf went too far. But if you saw the actual routine, which we played in full on this show for that reason, or frankly, if you have even paid you know five minutes of attention to this administration and to Huckabee Sanders and her daily lie fest at the White House, you know that Wolf didn't go nearly far enough in her comments. So it's also kind of incredible that she's only now being hit with these kind of direct questions about lying, given all the evidence that we have that, yes, this administration lies and lies and lies every day about everything big and small. There's constant lying to the American people to the point that I don't even bother. Des, I used to have you go and you know, record stuff from the from the White House press briefing on the day. Yeah, on the daily basis. And we don't, don't do even that. bother. No point D to it because she's just going to come out with nonsense and BS. Why should we waste our time and yours and yours? Yes. Repeating this, uh, you know, nonsense to the American people. There are uh, well-paid tools that do that in Washington, D.C., apparently. So we're not needed to do that and wouldn't want to anyway. So, yeah, I, you know, I have no idea, frankly, why these folks like uh, Jim Acosta and uh, Jonathan Carl, why, why they even bother to do it anymore themselves. You know, I, I was reminded of a conversation uh, that we had on this program with Al Eric Bullert uh, way, way back. I think it was during the transition 
um, when uh, during the Trump transition, back when uh, the member Team Trump had suggested they may they they were considering no longer holding daily briefings at all in the oh, White yes. House. That was during the Spicer era. Yeah. The Sean Spicer era. And uh, both Eric and I uh, agreed that that would be great. Please don't. That would require these, you know, these White House correspondents to actually, you know, who, who usually just rely on access journalism, access to these people, uh, you know, to maybe get out and do some actual reporting rather than just sitting there and taking dictation uh, and passing it on to the American people as if it was legitimate in some fashion. Uh, Vox, uh, Dara Lindara uh, over at Vox.com uh, writes, The past 24 hours of news in President Donald Trump's various legal imbroglios. How do you say that? Imbroglio. Imbroglios. The replacement of outgoing lawyer Ty Cobb with Emmett T. Flood and the admission of Rudy Giuliani to Sean Hannity, subsequently confirmed by Trump. That Trump did, in fact, reimburse Michael Cohn for $130,000 paid to porn actress Stormy Daniels on the eve of the 2016 election. All of that serve, she says, as powerful reminders of something that cannot be said often enough. Trump and his White House lie all the time without apparent compunction. And without consequence. Giuliani's admission... About these payments, she writes, was shocking because it revealed the lie. Trump's April claim that he knew nothing about Cohn's uh, payment to Stormy Daniels. Compared to that revelation, uh, the lawyer shakeup and the lies that it revealed may seem like small ball. But she says that's the point. The president and his administration lie about things big and small alike simply because they can. In March... For example, she uh, notes that the New York Times reported that Trump had interviewed Emmett T. Flood and that Cobb was expected, Ty Cobb was expected to leave um, as a, a White House lawyer in the coming weeks. At the, at the time of the Times report on that, Trump had vociferously denied it, denied that he was even considering asking Flood to join his team of personal lawyers and said that he was, quote, very happy with Cobb and the rest of the team. He tweeted, the failing New York Times purposely wrote a false story stating that I am unhappy with my legal team on the Russia case and I'm going to add another lawyer to help out. Wrong, he said. I am very happy with my lawyers, John Dowd, Ty Cobb and Jay Sekulow. They are doing a great job and have shown conclusively that there was... No collusion on Russia. But on Wednesday, the White House announced that Trump, uh, what Trump had denied, that in fact, yes, he was adding flood to his team. Meanwhile, Cobb announced that he was retiring and uh, the other attorney, John Dowd, had left weeks earlier. Trump in the White House called the initial report about all of that fake news. But the facts appear to be that Trump Yes, had interviewed Flood, and and yet he denied that he was considering hiring him once the Times reported it, and then he went ahead and did it anyway. Dara Lindara warns, don't treat White House denials as if they mean anything because they don't. She goes on to list a number of other examples, such as when the White House denied that uh, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson was going to be pushed out and replaced with CIA Director Mike Pompeo, which, of course, they subsequently did, despite uh, claiming that it was fake news as well when it was initially reported. 
and that uh, Trump had uh, offered that response. Fake news to the original reporting on that. Same thing happened when accurate, accurate reporting about then National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster that that uh, that he was being pushed out. That was called fake news. Landara says the lesson to take away from this is not all the things that the uh, New York Times and Washington Post, the two outlets whose reporting on Trump uh, is has been most consistently consistently reliable. It's not that uh, everything they write might happen in the Trump administration, that they are definitely going to happen. But it does mean that the White House appears to see absolutely nothing wrong with denying that Trump is considering some action, even when he is, in fact, considering that action. And even if he will, after the even after issuing denials, proceed to take that action. And even if lying about it would have adverse consequences for both Trump and the White House in the future. Again, anything you hear from the White House means absolutely nothing. And I can't say that we have ever been at a place in uh, like that in this country. She, uh, she writes, Trump and his White House have forfeited the right to have any influence on which stories about the president should or should not be believed. If they have no scruples about when and about what to lie, the only responsible alternative is to assume always that their statements have no relationship whatsoever to the truth. An assumption that we made here on this show long ago. Uh, and I'm glad that others are finally beginning to stitch that together. She goes on to note, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not news to most people following this administration that Trump lies. And it is not news. It may be news to some people that actually cover this administration. Uh, but it is certainly news when Fox News, even Fox News, begins to notice that. It's one thing. Uh, you know, for that so-called liberal media, CNN or ABC or, or even Vox.com to notice. But for Fox News to notice or at least admit to noticing out loud, that could signal a very bad sign for this president. Very bad. Fox News is Neil Cavuto. No lefty liberal. He delivered a scathing closing monologue on his Fox News show on Thursday in in what should be a very troubling sign for this president. Never mind what the, you know, the, the, the non-wingnut news says about our sociopathic liar of a president. Here is what Neil Cavuto of Fox News had to say following Giuliani's revelations about Trump's Stormy Daniels lie yesterday, and I'm going to play it in full because it's quite amazing. President Trump is fond of calling out the media on fake news, but is he the one giving them very real ammunition? Maybe not intentionally. I'll even give you the benefit of the doubt, Mr. President, and say maybe not deliberately, but consistently, way too consistently. So let me be clear, Mr. President, how can you drain the swamp if you're the one who keeps muddying the waters? You didn't know about that $130,000 payment to a porn star until you did. Said you knew nothing about how your former lawyer, Michael Cohen, handled this until acknowledging today you were the guy behind the retainer payment that took care of this. You insist that money from the campaign or campaign contributions played no role 
in this transaction. Of that, you're sure. Thing is, not even 24 hours ago, sir, you couldn't recall any of this. And you seem very sure. Now, I'm not saying you're a liar, you're president, you're busy. I'm just having a devil of a time figuring out which news is fake. Let's just say your own words on lots of stuff give me, shall I say, lots of pause. Like the time you said the Russians didn't interfere in the 2016 election until a lot of Republicans had to remind you they did. Came back months later and you said, well, I never said that Russia didn't meddle in the election when, in fact, you had a lot. Now, none of this makes me a never-Trumper, just always confused. Like when you claimed your tax plan was the biggest in U.S. history, when it wasn't, or that the bill you signed to make it all happen would cost you a fortune, when it turns out it is going to help make you a bigger fortune, or that your job approval numbers really aren't that bad, relative to other presidents at this stage, when they're actually worse than most presidents at this stage. That can change, but what's weird is this pattern does not. Like the time that you said rumors of Rex Tillerson's departure at the State Department were false, until they weren't, or that your former chief of staff, Reince Priebus, wasn't going anywhere until he was. Or your economic advisor, Gary Cohn, was doing a great job until he wasn't. When you absolutely loved Steve Bannon until you didn't. Swore by Jeff Sessions until you started swearing at Jeff Sessions. Had your legal team locked in place until it wasn't. Denied reports you were ever thinking about firing Robert Mueller, even as you now threaten getting involved at the Justice Department. Now, none of this makes you evil, but I'm sure you can understand why even your friends say these inconsistencies don't make you look good or do anything to help advance your policies, many of which are very good, or the prospects for peace with North Korea. That is remarkably good. All this stuff you keep blurting out, remarkably bad and remarkably bad timing. It is not that these exaggerations and omissions and misstatements are now and then. More like now and then something else. Always something else. Like the time you claimed you signed more bills than any president ever, neglecting to mention the other four presidents, FDR, Truman, Carter, and Clinton, who all signed more. Or brag about the national debt going down by $12 billion after your first month in office, even though it soared by nearly a trillion bucks now that you're 15 months in office. But it's not what you are omitting, Mr. President. It is what you keep stating and never correcting. Like when you said there was a serious voter fraud in New Hampshire, and there wasn't. Said the same about repeated claims of voter fraud in Virginia, and there weren't. Or that millions of illegals voted in the last election, but they didn't. Or the time you talked up your massive landslide in the Electoral College, even though three out of four presidents before you had bigger electoral vote landslides in their elections. Again, none of this makes what you say fake. Just calling out the press for being so a, a bit of a stretch. You are right to say some of them are out to get you. But oftentimes they're using your own words to bash you. Your base probably might not care, but you should. I guess you've been too busy draining the swamp to ever stop and smell the stink you're creating. That's your doing. That's your stink. Mr. President, that's your swamp. Ouch. Yeah. Ouch. Neil, Neil Cavuto on Fox News uh, hitting just about everything. I, I mean, uh, wow. 
Oh yeah, hitting the highlights, hitting the highlights uh, from uh, from the beginning the of lights. the Trump administration. Yeah. Well, I guess I should say you're yeah. right. The low lights. It's it's scary, and it's also scary the long term damage that is being done to the credibility of the White House as an institution. Um, that's that's gone. It's it's. It's scary, I guess, when you hear you know him say these things one after another. I would argue it's encouraging. It's good to hear coming from Fox News of all places. Maybe Donald Trump will actually hear it if it holds. Now that's the question. If he stays, if, if, if Neil Cavuto stay, doesn't yeah. roll over or get fired tomorrow, yeah, I, my my <laughs> guess is that he'll roll over first and foremost because that's what the Republican Party has been doing. If you'll notice, congressional Republicans will come out and say, "Well, you know, I'm outraged that he says these things," and then two minutes later, they fold and they do they whatever, roll over, and collapse. they vote for his agenda. So. We'll see. For now, I think uh, Neil Cavuto deserves uh, quite a bit of credit uh, for that uh, rather stunning monologue. Mr. President, that's your swamp. That's your stink. Of course, Neil Cavuto is just one guy at Fox News. Uh, Most of the folks at Fox still continue to defend him. But, um, you know, as they say, when you've lost Neil Cavuto... Uh, This is not a good trajectory for this president, but it may be a great trajectory uh, for the rest of the country and the rest of the world. We'll see. Quick break. And we are back with, uh, oh, yeah, uh, disasters. All of that straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. That's your stink, Mr. President. That's your swamp. Hi, this is Brad. My thanks to those who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to sign up for a subscription to the Bradcast of any amount you like. We rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please grab a subscription at bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. back a little hawaii music for you not that we're going to hawaii but uh welcome back to the bradcast (laughs) brad friedman from bradblog.com yeah we we picked a great time didn't we to uh to suddenly take a break uh in fact there is no great time true at this point uh, with this administration nothing ever stops will will donald trump still be president by the time we get back by the way oh yeah we're not going to be that lucky you sure yeah okay uh, but since you will have uh, Angie Coiro in for us on the broadcast over the next few days, uh, but there will be no Green News report, I thought uh, we should hit these two items before they disappear entirely, uh, especially because both of them are breaking today. Uh, Hawaii, uh, th- what's happening in Hawaii is is disturbing, but it comes on the heels of what has been happening in Hawaii on, uh, what was it, a week or two ago? This, these, these 
downfall of rain that this was deluge just of rain. Deluge? Yeah, that was actually about uh, two yeah. and a half weeks ago was or it? so. Yeah, but first, so first there's the volcano, the Kilauea volcano. It started erupting on Thursday. And for those of you looking at a map, it's on the eastern flank of the volcano on the east side of the big island. And uh, up to this point, residents had been reporting constant nonstop earthquakes for folks in California. Imagine your house shaking, oh, every minute or so. Is that what it was? Like yeah. every minute? Yeah, that's what Boy. some residents were saying. So active fissures have opened up and are spewing lava, what they call oh. fountains of lava, in the subdivision of Leilani Estates. And that's according to the Hawaii Volcano Observatory. Uh, so far, two homes have been destroyed as oh. we go to air on this. Um, the entire subdivision is closed because of hazardous air quality. About 1,800 oh. people have been ordered to evacuate because of extremely high levels of noxious sulfur dioxide. Um, Hawaii's Governor David Ige has activated the National Guard to help with the evacuation efforts. The American Red Cross is opening up shelters. The National Park Service has closed the eastern park of Hawaii Volcanoes National Park, which is a fantastic park. I have to recommend if you ever get the chance to go. I've been. It's amazing. Well, don't go now. No, no. I mean, uh, well, this volcano today, could obviously. blow. Is there is there a, uh, a concern that this thing could actually blow? Um, not uh, not like a gigantic eruption. Not like a Mount St. Helens type thing. No, probably not. But of course, you know, these things are completely unpredictable. So they're just, you know, being extremely cautious. Now, you were referring to a deluge, a record deluge yeah. that happened on the island of Kauai. That's the far west right. of the chain of islands, of the Hawaii Islands. That was something that the uh, National Weather Service actually had to confirm officially that nearly 50 inches of rain fell in just 24 hours on April 4th. 14th and 15th. That is about four feet of rain in just 24 hours. 50 inches of rain in yes. 24 hours? Yes. And it washed out roads and bridges and it caused flash floods and it completely cut off a couple of rural areas. And so, of course, you know, just so you know, Kauai is known for being quite rainy, but scientists are saying that this deluge was different. It was it's officially now the first major storm in Hawaii that has ever been linked to climate change. And a University of Hawaii disaster expert warned that, hey, you know, our infrastructure, not really meant for this stuff. Our communities, he said, quote, our communities are scaled and built for a climate that no longer exists. And he says we're going to have to do something to uh, to get ready for what's coming in wow. these more intense and extreme weather events that we've been seeing all over the world. And and isn't it that uh, one inch of rain equates to about one foot of snow? Yeah, roughly. That's a real so gives had, you an idea. Had that been uh, snow, that would have been fifty feet of snow in twenty four yeah. hours. And just all, to give you an idea of how bad that is. And all that water has to go somewhere. Oh, man, uh, well, I I uh, hope uh, folks are okay. When I saw uh, the news on this uh, volcano, I immediately thought about our listeners in uh, in Maui on uh, KAKU eighty eight point five FM, hoping they're okay, but they're not on. I guess either of these islands no, where we had either the, the deluge or the volcanoes and earthquakes. <laughs> so hang in there, Maui. It seems like you're all right so far. Yeah. The plague of locusts may be coming soon, however. So oh, yeah. Be careful. Yeah. Okay. And then the other major thing yeah. that happened was a Louisiana refinery fire. This is another explosion. This was in southern Louisiana at a plant owned by Flow Chem. They are a specialty oil field chemical provider. They provide products and services to major oil and gas companies and refineries. Um, so now officials have had to order a mandatory evacuation of a five-mile radius around the plant because of toxic smoke and fumes. They had to close both directions of Interstate 10 because 
the plant is located right next to Interstate 10. This oh, is a major great. interstate. Huge artery for yeah. shipping, trucks, everything. And, of course, you know, they have to make sure that motorists don't drive through the toxic smoke. So this is the latest refinery fire. That one in Louisiana is yep. the third such refinery fire in less than three weeks. Really? Yeah. I, let's see. I remember the one in Wisconsin just a, uh, a week or so ago. Yeah. And then there was also the Valero refinery fire in Texas in uh, mid-April. And all of these required nearby residents to have to evacuate. And just as a reminder um, that the EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt, he delayed new chemical plant safety rules that had been put in place by the Obama administration after the West Texas fertilizer facility fire that killed 17 people. And so unfortunately, those chemical safety rules have been delayed. And oh, by the way, the Trump administration wants to completely close and eliminate the chemical safety board which investigates and we tells don't need us what that. happened. Yeah, we don't need that. Yeah. Were there any evacuations this week near solar plants? Nope. Uh, wind farms? Did anybody have to get out of the way of a uh, falling windmill or anything <laughs> like that? <laughs> no, it... no, they didn't. Hmm. It was uh, just a sunny day or a windy day. Imagine that. I know. Crazy, isn't it? All right. Well, for those of you who might have thought you were getting out easy before uh, we got out of town here because there was no Green News report... <laughs> <laughs> Desi Doyen is always here to ruin your day. <laughs> hey, catch up on my Twitter feed, at Green News Report. I'll keep you posted on all the fun stuff going on. All right, even while you're uh, supposed to be off the grid. Yes. She won't be. She I never won't. is. All right, thank you very much, Desi Doyen, for that. And thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night or week with us. It is always greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download the broadcast or the Green News Report anytime for free at bradblog.com we uh we thank those of you as ever who stop by bradblog.com slash donate uh particularly those who consider signing up for a monthly subscription to the bradcast for any amount you like any amount is greatly appreciated and of course will help us to put some uh, gas into our prius until we can afford a real electric car. Yeah. Uh, and you can also drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. I hope to not be looking at any of that for a few days. We'll see if I succeed at that. Angie Coiro of In Deep Radio will be in for us for the next few days. We will see you oh, in about a week or so. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Oh,